through our series on 1 Timothy and Paul's instructions to Timothy as he pastors the church in Ephesus. The reason why we do this as a church is why we go through books of the Bible and focus on passages of Scripture is because we are committed to the authority and the, the authority of the Word of God, and we really want you to know and understand God's Word for yourself, that you would understand Scripture, that you would understand it for yourself, that you would understand what the Word of God is saying, and so it's not just simply that's what someone like me said to you that the Word of God said, but you yourself understand Scripture and can say, this is indeed what God's Word says. So Paul is writing this passage in 1 Timothy uh, to his protege, Timothy, and he is particularly beginning to address issues and concerns surrounding false teachers that have arisen in the church in Ephesus. And Paul gives, them, gives him this instructions to begin to deal with the issues inside of this church. He states, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the Lord, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm, not telling, I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I desire then that in every, every place the men should pray. Let us indeed ask for God's blessing and prayer for his spirit to work through his word. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we do pray for the outpouring of your spirit, that you would superintendent by your Holy Spirit to work by and with the preached word, that you would impact our hearts and change our hearts. Lord, that you would hear us and hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. The people power revolution in the Philippines in 1986. John Stott, reflecting on what happens there, said, you know, I sometimes wonder whether the comparatively slow progress towards peace and justice in the world, towards world evangelization, is due more than anything else to the prayerlessness of the people of God. When President Marcos was toppled in 1986, Filipino Christians attributed his downfall not to people power, but to prayer power, because the Christians had been praying for it. In fact, it's not just what happened in the Philippines. It's actually prayer that brought down the Berlin Wall a few years later in 1989. Because in May of that year, in Leipzig, Germany, at St. Nicholas Church, which was the place that 450 years before the Reformation began in Germany. And it was there that a small group began to meet in one of the church's rooms to pray together and to read the Sermon on the Mount and to pray for peace and to pray for peace in Germany. And that group expanded and they began to move and they moved to a larger room. And then that group expanded and finally they began to meet in the church's nave that was soon filled up. Communist authorities were uh, disturbed by this and bothered by this, so communist authorities sent officials to attend 
where they began temporarily jailing some of the people who had gathered for the prayer meeting. Shortly thereafter, the, the authorities then began to block uh, the city's nearest exit ramps off of the Autobahn. And then on October 9th, 1989, some 2,000 people came to the church to pray for peace in Germany. And then 10,000 more people showed up. And then a few hours later, the Berlin Wall came down. That account comes from the welcome brochure to the St. Nicholas Church in Germany as to what happened on the events of uh, October 19, 1989. Is this simply coincidence? No, it is God's response to the prayers of his people. What happened in 1986 and what happened in 1989, I think is just a demonstration of what God had said what would happen some 3,000 years prior. And God said to his people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal, heal their land. The Apostle Paul in this passage that we've come to today is asking the people of God to do the exact same thing that the prophets asked thousands of years before. That they would gather together and that they would pray. And that they would have prayers that extended far beyond themselves. And Paul wants them to do this because he knows, as Scripture all teaches, that prayer is absolutely necessary. He is giving instructions to the church, to Timothy as he pastors this church in Ephesus. And he's giving instructions for how he's to deal with the Christians in this church the professing Christians in this church who have started teaching false things and they're leading others to stray. And Paul instructs him, as you begin to deal with the issues present in this congregation, first, pray. The first thing that you need to do is pray. First of all, I urge you then, first of all then, I urge, first of all is addressing the situation, the false teachers, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. It needs to be said, not first, go talk to five other people. First, brood on this issue for a while and see what you think about it. First, then, first brood, then go talk to other people. No, first of all, pray. It's an obvious statement that we so often skip, is it not? In the midst of these things, in the midst of the challenges that we face. And Paul gives a variety of terms. He says, first of all then, I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings, those words are largely synonymous for the same thing, supplications being requests, prayers being talking to God, intercessions being making a request on behalf of another person, thanksgiving, expressing thanks to God for what he is doing, all of these things coming together, Paul is saying, pray, make requests for specific needs, for specific people, boldly before God, on behalf, of their, on behalf of others with thanksgiving and with thankfulness. He urges this because the scripture so widely teaches, prayer is the means by which God advances the gospel. It is the means by which God brings his kingdom into reality, into flesh and blood. To give you a different example, your job is the means by which food is provided for your family. We pray, give us this day our daily bread, 
It's not that Krispy Kreme suddenly appear on your table. It is that, that God, the means by which that occurs is that your job is the means by which food is brought into your house. And your hands are the means by which that food is turned into a meal. And yes, salvation belongs to the Lord, but God has appointed that the prayers of his people are the means by which his will becomes a reality in this life. Your prayers are the means by which, the, the means by which God's pe- God draws people unto himself. It is necessary. What do you do? First, pray. He then gives instructions. Well, who do you pray for? Pray? Well, pray for all people. You know, when we, when was the last time you made a list of things to pray for? That you thought about, I need to pray for some things, and you made a list of people and needs to pray for. When was the last time you did that? My guess, if you're like me, when you sat down to make that list, the first thing that was written began with you or one of your loved ones. Is that our prayers often emanate in rippling circles with us, with us as the center. Me, my concerns, my situation, my family members, and maybe if I get past my family members, I'll think of a close friend. And maybe if I get a, past a close friend, I'll think about my coworkers and the people that I interact with. And maybe after that, I'll think about the church. And maybe after that, I'll think about something a little bit more broadly, what God's doing in the world. And Paul, in this passage, is urging us to flip the order. He's saying, no, what you need to do when you pray, first of all, pray for everyone, is that our prayers need to focus begin with God and what God is doing in this world. And realizes that God's actions in this world emanate and ripple forth from him, and somewhere on the spectrum our circle lands out there. And he's saying that our prayer life needs to be aligned with what God is doing. And so he says, yes, pray for everyone. And then he gives the specific instructions for kings and for all who are in high positions. Why pray for them? Because it is those people through whom the world holds together. Through whom the countries and the world's held together by their leadership, by their authority, and by their responsibilities. And and Paul is saying, pray. Pray for everyone, but pray for kings. Pray for all who are in high positions. Because these are those who are holding the world together and that control the way that things happen in our world and in our society. pray for kings, pray for all people, pray because this in particular is necessary, and that slide did not come through in in, in in, in putting that up here. It is remarkable that when Paul is saying pray for kings, because to the church in Ephesus, who he's talking about in particular is praying for the emperor Nero. Nero, who was known for his cruelty and his vanity and his persecution of Christians, whose persecution of Christians at times was sporadic that then became very systematic. Christians would be nervous living underneath of him. And Paul is urging them to say, pray for these pagan leaders. Pray for these kings that you, under whom you suffer. Pray for the, the leader, the governmental leader that you despise. Pray for the ruler that you disapprove of. This is God's will and it is pleasing to him that you do so. In fact, he called the Jews to pray for the king of Babylon who brought them them into captivity. Pray for them all. Pray for these, for everyone, and pray for kings and rulers. 
as a, just a, practice, a very simple resource available, I just want to make you aware of, is um, we've had, someone that we've had here to preach several times, a man by the name of Chuck Garriott, who leads a ministry for the PCA called Ministry to State. And the ministry to state within our denomination is a ministry that is focused on serving governmental officials. It is not a lobbying group. It is not a policy group. They have the simple goal of ministering to those who are in positions of authority. One of their stated goals is to pray for them, to lead Bible studies, to encourage them with the Word of God. One of their goals is to promote and facilitate intelligent prayer by the church for those in government. And they do this regularly. If you go to their website, they've got a, um, different prayers uh, every month that are, di- that are directly based in Scripture, as Scripture calls us to pray for kings and rulers and leaders. Um, Chuck Garriott also has made a pattern that with each election, he issues a book specifically based on this passage to pray for kings and all who are in authority, um, specifically for the president. He issued one for Obama called Obama Prayer, and now one he recently released called Prayers for Trump, which are specific scriptural prayers that scripture calls us to pray for people in leadership. His prayer email that he sent out this past month in October was based on Proverbs 16.10, which says, the lips of a king speak as an oracle, meaning that what the leader of a country states matters and has repercussions. The lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. And so ministry to state is helping the people of God to say, here is how we can pray for our leaders. If you're interested in getting that, you can go to their website. There's a email, an email that comes out with specific prayers for our leaders. Um, and then if you want to order the book, the book's 12 bucks. If you want to, if you want to get a copy of the book to, as a resource in terms of how do I specifically pray for my leaders according to Scripture. But Scripture calls us to do this, calls us to pray, to pray for everyone. And to pray in particular for kings and for those who are in positions of authority. And then he gives instructions about what exactly it is that we're to pray for. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. I'm going to highlight three things here. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Pray for the kings that the Christians may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That the God-given roles of government, according to Scripture, is to keep the peace. To preserve law and order to protect the free expression of its citizens, particularly in worship, to punish evil and to promote good. That's what Scripture lays out. And Paul is instructing, saying, pray for those in governmental positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Pray for them that that they would promote peace so that the church could flourish, so that the church would be free to worship under the protection of the state and not under the persecution of the state. That the church would be free to thrive and proclaim the gospel freely. And so he urges us, as Christians, to pray for leaders that there would be peace, that Christians may live a peaceful life, a quiet life. A quiet life means free from public disturbance and what Paul's identifying here. And then he goes on to say, to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray for your leaders, pray for the government, that Christians can live out the implications of their faith, that they can obey the laws of God and spread the gospel, and that the role of the state, as laid out in this passage of one of several, is to protect the church that it may be free to perform its duties. 
In turn, the duty of the church is to pray for the state to fulfill its God-given duties. So that as the state fills its God-given duties, the church can fulfill the ones that God has given to the church to proclaim the gospel without interference. Because you know the opposite. Is that when Christians and governments oppress Christians, the beauty of the gospel is, is hidden. And God certainly advances the gospel in persecution in remarkable and astounding ways. But he, the God does so as the government is forsaking its God-given responsibility. And Paul is saying, listen, church, pray for good government that the lives of Christians may be seen. Pray for a society to be preserved with peace where worship and morality can thrive and where evangelism can advance without hindrance. We're blessed to live in America, are we not? To live in a country where we are have the freedom to live out the implications of the gospel, that's a really good thing. And we need to pray for it and pray that God would preserve it. And, you know, we may grumble and get worked up about important issues. We may get grumble and get worked up about the government over less important issues. We may want taxes to be spent differently, governmental money to be spent differently, important things to do. But imagine if you lived in a country where every night you went to bed dreading that as the, night, as, the, as the night came upon you, that there would be a knock on the door. And there would be a knock on the door from the secret police who are drought to drag off one of your family members, probably the principal income earner in your family, for them to be tortured and for them to, be, and for them to likely be tortured and killed. If you lived in that situation, wouldn't you be praying night and day for good, wise, strong, and just rulers. Absolutely. And the privileges that we have in America, we must not take for granted, but pray for our rulers, that God would preserve the freedom of worship and expression that we have. And not only in our own country, but to pray for that globally. Pray for everyone. Pray for the king and for all people in high positions. Think about the Christians who are in Egypt, or Indonesia, or Central Asia, or North Korea. So what do they need? They need a government that gives them peace so that the Christians can live out the proclamation of the gospel in their community. So we as a church, not in this, not in some sort of like, people sometimes view that as like, oh, you're just selling out to the government if, you just, if you're praying for them. No, this is the work of the church, is to pray that the freedom that God calls the government and charges the government to give, that the people of God would have that, and it is ours to pray for that so that that would be a reality and a continued reality and expanding reality around our globe. So pray for peace. Pray that we would live a be able to live out our Christian life, a godly and dignified life. And the third thing he instructs us to pray for is to pray for the salvation of kings and rulers. He says, pray for kings and all who are in high place positions. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved. Why is it good to pray for them? To pray that all people, kings and rulers, that they too would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. That there are specific things that are necessary for salvation and specific things that are necessary to know God and to have a relationship with him. And the church is to pray that, that leaders would have a relationship 
with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that they would know that they are in a position of authority that God has appointed them to, and before whom that they will answer. We are to pray because it is necessary. Because it is needed and it is necessary and is what God calls us to do as the people of God. And he calls us to pray because not only is it necessary, but because it is effective. God uses the prayers of his people. And it is effective. Several reasons he gives. Our prayers are effective because of God's desire. Scripture instructs that God uses our prayers to make God's desires a reality. And he tells us what his desires are, that pray, because God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I believe that this is in particular to directly, uh, in direct contrast to the false teachers in the church who were teaching that only the Jews would be saved, or only a select group of people who had received a, a select type of information. And Paul's point is, no, it's not a select group of people. It's, it's everybody. God desires all people to be saved. He emphasized this four times in this passage. Pray for all people. God desires all people to be saved. He says it again and again that it is Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, to the ends of the earth that all peoples would be saved. This is God's desires. And if it's his desire, it's our duty. And our duty an obligation to pray that God's desires would become a reality. And we see God's desires, that there is a genuine desire, a bona fide expression of goodwill of the one true God, that the gospel would spread to every single human being. And it would do so with the knowledge of the truth, that Christianity is not just some abstract thought concept It's not just love people well. There is come to the knowledge of the truth. There is specific pieces of information that is necessary to have a relationship with God. And how does it come about? Through the prayers of God's people in line with God's desires, and God makes those effective. Because of God's desires? Because of his work. Verses 5 through 6. He ends, he desires that all people would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given in the proper time. For there is one God. Why is that so important? Because there are not many gods, depending upon different tribal groups and different religious groups around the world. There is one God. And if there is one God, there is only one God that there is to have a real people can have a relationship with. And God's work is that this one God has made a way. And there is only one way. It is through the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There are not a variety of ways. That the one God has made one way, and it comes through Jesus Christ. And if people are to be reconciled to God, it has to happen to to the one God through the one way, who was the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And how did he do it? By giving himself as a ransom for all. Ransom means to buy out of bondage. Uh, If a slave was ransomed, it means that someone paid the price that they would be set set free. He's telling us that what God did through Christ Jesus is that he gave himself as a ransom for all. That he was the payment that people would be set free 
to have a relationship with God. What does that mean for our prayers? It means that when you're praying for the gospel to advance, you're not praying for some some bizarre thing like, God, would you make gravity flow the other direction? Like you are praying for something that God has determined, that God has desired, that God has made a way for it to be accomplished. Therefore, your prayers are effective. Finally, another aspect of being effective is because of God's call. He says this, for this, for this, what is the this? For there is one God, one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. For this, I was appointed, the Apostle Paul says, a preacher and apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I desire then that in every place the men should pray. God calls all of his followers to testify to his grace and to his work and to share that message. There are some people whom he calls particularly to do that as their vocation. The Apostle Paul is one. Pastors and missionaries and preachers are other ones. Specifically called by God to proclaim the gospel of grace. And as much as God uses these people as his mouthpiece to proclaim his truth, he uses the prayers of his people to make those called effective. Paul is saying, he begins this passage and opens and ends it with this call for prayer. And he says, for this reason, I was appointed a preacher of the gospel. I desire then... That in every place that men should pray. That people should pray because there is a calling that God has given that salvation would come to the ends of the earth. And the people of God need to pray for the effective proclamation of the gospel through the people of God and through those called by God to do that with their whole lives. It's something that Paul regularly asks people to pray for and he regularly asks the church to pray for. He says to the church in Ephesus, pray. Pray also for me. He's asking the church to pray for him. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray for me that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That was to the church in Ephesus. To the church in another city, he says to them, at the same time, pray also for us. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am a prisoner. Pray according to God's desire, according to God's work, according to God's calling. Pray that God would make it a reality, that doors would open up so that the proclamation of the gospel through his people would advance. Pray for us to the church in Rome. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of, your, of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He's like, listen, I'm going on the field. I need you, the church, to strive with me. I need you to labor with me. And I need you to labor with me together in your prayers and pray for me to God on my behalf. To the church in 
uh, Thessalonica. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And just very succinctly, brothers, pray for us. The Apostle Paul understood the connection between the prayers of God's people and the advance of the gospel. And so do we. If you are not in a regular pattern of praying beyond your own ripples, please begin. If you are not in a regular pattern of praying for the advancement of the gospel and praying for governments, please begin. If you're not in a regular pattern of praying for Cornerstone, praying for me, for our elders, our deacons, praying for our staff, please begin. This Wednesday night, we are, our elders are calling to have a meeting, a night for congregational prayer. At 7.30, it'll be here in the sanctuary. It's a time change from what's printed. And when the elders said we needed to call for a night of con- a day of congregational prayer, they did not know I was preaching on this passage. This past Monday night, we had a seven-hour, this past Monday night, we had a seven-hour session meeting. And the next day, as we were emailing back and forth about this, one of our elders wrote about this congregational prayer meeting, and they said, we need to have a congregation to call the congregation to pray. And we need to call the congregation to pray, and this is what he wrote, not just with a, hey, come out if you want to. Not just a, hey, come out if you want to. But we need to call the congregation to pray as this, be here. This is important, and you need to make it a priority prayer meeting, prayer meeting. Um, Speaking frankly, uh, Satan's fiery darts over the last several months have been fierce and unrelenting uh, personally for our elders, for the people in our church. The volume of awful situations that people in our congregation are going through right now is unprecedented, frankly. There have been the awful situations that people are dealing with in the last six months are probably more than I have experienced in the last eight and a half years as pastor of this church in the last six months. Um, Some of those situations cannot be mentioned And if you understood them, you would understand that they cannot be mentioned. Others of those situations um, should be. But people are afraid to say something and they're suffering in silence in really awful situations. Um, Personally, uh, it's been rough with those fiery arrows. I know that that's not just me. I know it extends to many people. Um, several couples have mentioned to me and they've said, I, 
we are experiencing some spiritual warfare in our family like we've never experienced before. I've had a couple, several couples say, I don't exactly know what's happened um, in our marriage. We've had a good marriage, and for some reason, there was this three-week period where just bad things were happening in our relationship. Arguments that we've never had arguments over, fights over things that we've never had fights before, uh, seeking to love each other that was received as acts of aggression, um, that we had to stop and say, uh, what is happening here? Like, this isn't, this isn't us. This isn't how a relationship has worked. And I have heard that exact same pattern with several couples have said the exact same thing. Um, others have been in the midst of tension and conflict uh, who afterwards, you know, someone said to me this past week, they said, I, I, I don't know what was going on. I don't, I don't know, I was concerned about that, but I don't know why I got so upset about that. Like the level of how upset I was about that didn't match the issue that I was dealing with. And several people have said that. And then quite frankly, in terms of praying and praying because of the spiritual battle, there have been a number of just flat out really bizarre situations um, that we've been dealing with. I mean, just bizarre situations. And so as we look at this passage, Scripture calls us to pray. To pray because it's necessary and to pray because it's effective. And we're calling you to pray simply because we need it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have ordained that you would use the prayers of your people to advance the gospel and to fend off the forces of evil. For your word tells us in Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the principalities, the spiritual forces of darkness over this present age. Fathers, many, Father, many of us are keenly aware of that right now and deeply wounded by it. And so, Father, we pray for the movement of your spirit to protect your church, to protect your people, that the healing powers of the gospel would go forth in men's souls in relationship to you and in relationship to one another. And, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move your people to use the means that you have appointed to pray, and that we would pray not haphazardly, but that we would pray diligently and fervently, that you would be honored and glorified, that those who are lost would be saved, and that the gospel would advance, that we might lead godly and dignified lives, peaceful and quiet free from disturbance that the gospel might be seen in us. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.